0: This afternoon, uh, worship and its foundations, and that's really what the two sections there that we read outline the, the foundations of worship. And I think every Christian would acknowledge that we have been made to worship. God created mankind with the express purpose of communing with Him, and in fact, this is the most important thing we do in this life and in the next, Is worship the Lord. Uh, John Calvin wrote, The chief object of life is to acknowledge and worship God. Uh, The Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism echoes that very same thing that our chief end or our main purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Now there is a sense in which all of life is worship everything that we do should have that posture it should be done to the glory of god but when the the bible speaks of worship it is most often referring to that specific conscious activity when redeemed sinners gather on the sabbath day to worship god together in a public way and that's the focus of chapter 21 of the Confession. It's about our Lord's Day worship, our Sabbath worship, our our public worship on the first day of the week wherein God calls us to put aside everything else and to give ourselves wholly to His worship. And it is the most important thing that we do in this life. And yet I think we need to ask ourselves, do we treat it that way? Do we treat it as the important activity that it is? Do we recognize sort of what we read in Hebrews 12? Do we recognize the supernatural nature of it? Do we actively seek to be better worshipers? Or we can even go far as to ask do we really know how to worship? In 1961, A.W. Tozer wrote, Worship is the missing jewel in the evangelical church. If he said that in 1961, what would he be saying today of the American church? And he went on to say that Christians have almost forgotten how to worship. This activity that is so essential and foundational to us is being lost and trampled upon. Some worship today is just cold and lifeless and routine. On the other end of the spectrum, much of worship in our country is superficial, man-centered, and completely irreverent. And some have even, I don't even, some is accurate today. In American culture, many, I would think, who profess to be Christians, have abandoned public worship altogether and say, well, I could just worship God on my own anywhere. And friends, this is tragic. This is not in for the betterment of the church, but it has harmed the church. And as Reformed Christians, I don't want us to think that this can't happen to us. We need to have a sound foundation when it comes to worship. And so I want us to think briefly about some foundational truths regarding worship. And the first foundational truth that we need to understand is, is the focal point. The focal point of worship. Why have we, why have we come here today? What's our purpose? Uh, what's our focus to be? Sadly, today, for many Christians, worship is for them. It's the consumer mentality that has been translated into into the church. I can't tell you how many pastors I talk to that just lament this problem, that they are so discouraged with the what have you done for me lately attitude, that if I don't leave feeling good and satisfied then that was not a good worship service we see many churches today emphasize community their churches focused on fellowship and activities and and programs we have heard of the seeker friendly churches but would it surprise us to say that our primary purpose in gathering is not so that we can receive a blessing. It's not so that we can see each other. It's not even to evangelize the unconverted. Now hear me, those things can and should happen. But that is not our primary focus. Our focal point is the Lord. The great triune God is the focal point of our worship. Listen again to some of those verses from our call to worship from Psalm 96 and listen to the God-centeredness of worship. There's There's really nothing about us here and what we experience. It's about the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship Him in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. That is our primary focus. We come to ascribe to the Lord the glory He deserves. Our worship ought not to be man-centered, but God-centered. In Revelation 4, there's a beautiful picture of the throne of God and our great triune God. And in that image, if you read, it's, it's, it's a, if you drew it as a picture, everything would be facing in on the throne of God. He is the focal point. He is to be praised and honored and revered for who He is. The biblical words that are translated worship speak to this God-centered nature of our worship. One of the words means to prostrate oneself or to bow down or to show reverence bowing down to the ground, it's a great picture of where the focus of worship is. And I think many of you are well aware our English word worth, worship derives from the word worth It's about the worth of our God. And the wonderful paradox is that by making God the focal point of our worship... We are blessed, and we receive all that we need, that we will lack nothing. But the tragedy is, on the other hand, if we make worship about us, if we make it man-centered, it will be empty and powerless, and we will be woefully lacking in our Christian walk. And so much of worship today is powerless, It's empty because the focus is man and man's desires and what we want and how do we please everyone. But the fundamental and foundational truth regarding worship is that it is centered upon a holy God who is worthy of our praise. This is the foundation upon which our worship is built as the The confession says in section two, religious worship is to be given to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and to Him alone. And we do that in the mediation of Jesus Christ. So that's the focal point of our worship, but then let's think about the presence that we encounter in worship. Having come... In my early days, out of the evangelical, broad American evangelical church into a Reformed denomination, I am convinced that one of the primary reasons that worship in our day has become so anemic and church attendance is viewed as optional or just a tedious thing is that we have lost the biblical truth that in our Lord's Day worship, We get to gather in the presence of the living God. That he is here with us in a special way on the Lord's Day. And this flows from that foundational truth that worship is God-centered. He is here among us and we place our focus upon him. And we think about this in the human realm. If you love someone, you simply desire to be with them. And with true love, their presence is enough. You know, when Janine and I occasionally get to go out without the kids, and someone would ask, well, what would you do? I don't really remember what we did. I just know we were together. But this is what worship is like. Our God loves us with an everlasting love. And He says, here I will meet with you. I will be your God. You will be my people. You will know my gracious presence. We read of these calls to worship in the Bible. Psalm 100, verse 2, come into His presence with thanksgiving. Hebrews 12, 24, we read how in worship we come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to His sprinkled blood. We were created to worship, and we were created to know His presence. And while God is present with us everywhere, all the time, He promises us a special, gracious presence in public worship. You think about the Old Testament temple was the place of of God's special presence, of His glory, the, the most holy place. And isn't it a great privilege that now in the New Testament, we are called His temple because we are where God dwells among us in worship. In worship, Jesus is among us by His Spirit and by faith, we get to see His glory and As I mentioned in the the first sermon today, that's what we really need the most. We need the nourishing, life-giving, grace-imparting presence of our triune God. And again, perhaps one of the reasons that worship holds little or no importance in the lives of many Christians, and perhaps the reason why even our worship can sometimes be so empty And lifeless is that we've lost the sense of the awesome presence of God among us. Why has worship become so ordinary to us? Because we've lost sight of this awesome gift. Worship is to know God's presence. And friends, I I don't want this to be like a a finger-pointing out there at every other church who doesn't do it right. That's not what I want this to be. But as we look around at the landscape of the church in our country, one of the greatest tragedies is when the church refuses to repent of her man-centeredness, and the glory of the Lord departs from a given church. That's the worst thing that can happen to the church and it's what happens. The the threat of Jesus in the book of Revelation is I will remove your lampstand. I will remove my gracious presence if you do not repent. In, In 1 Samuel 4, we read of this unnamed woman who she mourned over the loss of God's presence among his people and she named her child Ichabod, saying, glory has departed from Israel. Ichabod literally means there is no glory. In her pain and her sorrow, she lamented over the loss of the glory of God among his people. Worship is to know the presence of God and we have lost something foundational today. Do we really know the longing of the psalmist? What we, he, we, we just sang in Psalm 42 when he thirsts for God's presence. He longs to be in the house of God that he might be nourished and restored. The presence we encounter, but thirdly, the privilege that we have. We have been given a great privilege. We are privileged to worship God, to know His presence. And friends, we need to be reminded of this because in our country, we so often confuse rights and privileges. Worship is not a right. When we start to view privileges as rights, we will inevitably take those privileges for granted and abuse them. Worship is a privilege purchased by the blood of Jesus. Again, Hebrews 12, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Worship is an enormous privilege. We are a privileged people and that privilege is secured for us we could say in two ways the, the first is which is through revelation we would not have known god if he would not have revealed himself to us without the word of god we would not have known him what he's like how we should worship him without the word and without the illuminating work of the spirit we would be left in darkness how do we know what God is like? How do we know what He's done for us? What He requires of us? How we worship Him? It's through the ministry of the Word of God, primarily in worship. But we also have this privilege through redemption. Redemption in Christ's blood. In our sin, we would never have known the presence of of a holy God, or maybe to say it more rightly, we would not have known His gracious presence. We would have known Him, the presence of His wrath and judgment. We get to approach Him in worship through His beloved Son, Jesus, through His shed blood, through the enabling of the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews 10, the the writer speaks about how the The privilege of of drawing near was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places. Again, he's talking about worship. By the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. It's the sprinkled blood of Jesus that has purchased this privilege for us. He is our mediator. He gives us access to the throne of grace. And every Lord's Day, we know the privilege of worship only because of the Father's eternal love, the Son's shed blood, and the Spirit's powerful enabling. Friends, Jesus died the cursed death of the cross so that we could come here today and enter His presence and worship Him. It's a blood-bought privilege to worship Him. But finally and more briefly, there is the pattern that we must follow. One of the greatest fallacies in in modern Christianity is that we just naturally know how to worship God. It reflects our pride and arrogance that we would think such a thing. We do not know how to worship God. We are sinners. There is an infinite distance between us and God. And if worship is to be God-centered, if it is an entering into His presence and a great privilege, would it not follow that God would be the best person to tell us how He is to be worshipped? The Lord graciously sets down a pattern in the Bible for us, and this too has been lost today. The whole idea that God is the best person to tell us how to worship Him seems foreign and even crazy to people. Sadly, the only pattern today is, well, what do we want? What do we like? What's going to draw people in? But friends, if God is the focal point of worship, shouldn't we listen to what He wants? In Deuteronomy twelve, thirty-two, in the context of forming his people into a worshiping community and, and instructing them how to worship, he said, Everything I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. This is a pattern that has been called in, by Reformed theologians, the regulative principle of worship. Why would the outside world look at our worship and say, well, that's pretty simple and ordinary. We can say, well, this is what the Lord has commanded. He says, this is how I will be worshipped. Friends, he gives us those card rails for his glory and for our good to protect us. He wants us to enter into the full experience of worship and the illustration i could use of the, the fact that god is the one who determines how we worship and adore him is you know imagine if my my wife for her birthday said you know i want to go to crystal park cantina and and i want to do that on a saturday night i said okay that's great but i took her to mcdonald's on Saturday morning. That would not please her. (laughs) She knows what she wants for her birthday. How much more is that true of our God? He tells us where and when He will be with us. John Calvin wrote on this subject, he said, the doctrine of true of the true worship of God is not to be sought from men because the Lord has faithfully and fully taught us in what way he is to be worshipped. And that's what the confession really echoes Calvin's comments in 21.1. It says, The acceptable way of worshipping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited by his own revealed will that he may not be worshipped according to the imagination and devices of men the suggestions of Satan under any visible representation or any other way not prescribed in the Holy, Holy Scripture. God sets the pattern to follow because He wants our worship. He wants to commune with us. He wants to enter into the full blessings that He has for us. And, and I think as, as Reformed people, maybe we need to guard our hearts against not taking pride in saying, well, we have the right pattern. What we need to be aware of is the fact that the Lord looks upon the heart as well. So the Worship Foundations will continue on this subject matter uh, next week. But let's give thanks to the Lord for the great privilege we have of coming into Ah. His presence. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for this great privilege today of coming and knowing Your gracious kind presence to us a refreshing life-giving presence lord uh, make us better worshipers or help us to worship you in spirit and in truth lord, we pray that as we go out this week that lord we would be empowered and energized by this time in your presence that we might lord live for you lord enable us by your spirit to forsake sin to pursue righteousness and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We pray in the great name of Jesus. Amen.